So last Sunday, uh, I heard that there was a complaint about the length of my message from Dr. Gary Smith. Uh, he, I heard through the grapevine that he said, my, that you're going to get out early today because Gary said, I'm preaching, not Pastor Jason. So if we're going to have a five-minute message this morning, you're going to be out. Oh, my wife, did you hear her? You could probably hear that online right there. My wife's celebrating five minutes. We're going 55 minutes now. <laughs> right now, online, everybody went, <laughs> turned off the program. Now, stay out. It's not going to be 55, I promise. But last Sunday, if you were tuned in or here, you know I, I wasn't here. And I'm going to go ahead and confess to you, I was playing hooky last Sunday. Normally, when I'm not in the room, I'm, I'm usually volunteering in the kids' ministry or I'm at another campus or something and I wasn't, I wasn't at church at all last Sunday, I confess it. But I, I, wasn't, I wasn't on vacation last Sunday. I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping in. I, I would have rather been sleeping. I wasn't sleeping in last Sunday. Actually, last Sunday, I, I was out going for a run, a really, really, really long run. I went 26.2 miles last Sunday and completed my first ever marathon. That's what I was doing. About mile 20, I was wishing I was here preaching God's Word and, and not out running, but, uh, but I, I was able to, to push through the pain and the misery, 26.2 miles. There are some of you right now going, what in the world were you even thinking? Like, why would you waste your time trying to do that? Others of you are going, oh, pretty cool. But let me go ahead and tell you, it was a special moment to, to cross the finish line at this particular marathon because, because I'd, been, I'd been wanting to do this particular marathon for a long time. It was the Dallas Marathon that I was running. And if you know anything about the Dallas Marathon, they support Texas Scottish Rite with the marathon. So Scottish Rite in Dallas is a hospital. It's such a beautiful hospital. They do great work. And our family has benefited tremendously. It's where my son gets his prosthetic legs. It's, we've had surgeries there. And it's, it's an incredible ministry that they do. They have blessed our family so much. And I, I had really wanted to support them with this race before. And so signed up and I was able to run it. And it was, it was really great for me to get to do that. But it was actually more than just that. For, for 23 years, I'd been eyeing this particular marathon. When I was a senior in college, 21 years old, I had decided before I finished college, I wanted to kind of cap it off by running a marathon. And so I signed up for what was then called the White Rock Marathon. It's, it just changed the name. It's the same marathon, the Dallas Marathon. And I trained all the way up. If you know anything about running a big race like that, you got to build up mileage to get there. And I had run a 20-mile run back in college which is the last one you do before you do the race. It's about three weeks before the race. And then I got a tear in my Achilles tendon, and I had to back out of the race, and I wasn't able to do it. And then for the next couple of decades, I'd been plagued with injury after injury, all the Achilles and hamstring and quad and calf. And I just kind of I figured this, this body of mine just ain't a marathon body. I'm, I'm never going to be able to do it. And I kind of resigned to the fact that I couldn't do it. And then last year for the First time in my life, over the course of the year, I ran 1,000 miles in the year, and I thought, okay, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. I'm not getting any younger. If I'm going to do this thing, I better do it now. And so I signed up for it, and then last Sunday, after months of training, was finally able to complete this thing that I started 23 years ago and was able to finish it. And my family was right there, and they, they had a sign that they made that said, it's official, you're a marathon runner. Like, I got a new identity. I'm a marathoner now that I've crossed the finish line, and it was, it was great. I was so glad to get to finish it. Painful, but I did it. And then I woke up the next morning. And, it, and, and honestly, more than the soreness that I felt, 
I felt this like emptiness of like, really? It's over? For 23 years, I've been eyeing this thing. I did it. Now what? Like, do I have to run an ultra marathon now? Do I have to run faster than something? Do I have to do another one? I mean, like, I, I, I'm, it didn't satisfy me. I, I, I didn't even feel good. I, I felt what's called the post-marathon blues. Been training so hard, you do it, and you're like, now what? And it was surprisingly unsatisfying to accomplish this thing I've been eyeing for 23 years. And, and I, I got you know, I'm just going to confess to you, this is my personality. I am I'm wired this way. I believe God wired me this way. I'll blame him for it. But anytime I see a mountain, I want to climb it. That's just the way I'm wired. I, I want to get to the top of anything. And you know, every time I climb a mountain, you know what I discover? There's another mountain somewhere else that's even higher. Or if I get to the highest mountain, I realize somebody else got there first and got there faster. And it's just never satisfying. That's like the Lord teaching me this lesson over and over and over again. And when I finished and I woke up the next morning terribly sore, not feeling any better, my first thought was, I wonder how much time we waste on things that just don't matter. Like how much time do we waste on things that promise fulfillment that just don't bring it? If I could just attain this thing, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be at rest. If I could just, for me, just run that marathon I've been eyeing for so long, then I'll finally be happy. Or some of you going, if I could, if I could just get that girl to go out with me, then I'll, I'll be happy. If, if I could just start a family and have a child, there's some of you going, if I could just end this relationship I've been in, it's so painful. It's never good enough, one side or the other. There, there are some of you going, if I could just... If I could just get that position at work or just get to this salary, then I'll finally be happy. If I could just finish that project, then I'll be, if I, if I, could, if I could just get that boat, man, that'll be great. If I could just, and you insert whatever it is in there that you think is going to satisfy you. And what you're going to discover as you try to fill in that blank is that there is nothing on this earth that will satisfy you. It is a lie from the pit of hell to think that you are going to be satisfied from anything that you pursue on this earth. Now, I say that, and, and there's a, a caution i got to throw out, because there's some of you who may think, well, then therefore it must be evil to seek to be satisfied. And, and I want to make sure your theology doesn't get off on this. There's nothing evil and wrong about seeking to be satisfied. You were created by God with the desire to be satisfied. The only time it turns evil is when you seek satisfaction in things that cannot satisfy you when you seek the shadow instead of the substance. So I, I've shared this particular illustration before if you've been around the church for a number of years. So for first all-staff fasting retreat, it was a number of years ago, five or six years ago, we were at a, a retreat center and it was the third day of our fasting retreat. Now mind you, it's been 60-something hours and no one's had any food. We've only had water for those 60-something hours. We have about 12 more hours left of the fast. We wake up that morning and we realize that right next door to us in the dining hall, they're frying up some bacon. All that bacon, it's incredible after 60-something hours of not eating how well you can smell it. You go, that's hickory, thick cut, little cracked pepper on it. I mean, you can smell every bit of that bacon. And for about three seconds, it was incredibly satisfying. Like, oh, yeah, that's so good. And after those three seconds were up, it was infuriating to smell that bacon and to know you weren't going to get to eat a lick of it. You still had 12 more hours of this darn fast going, 
and someone else was going to eat your bacon. And so after you smelled the bacon, afterward it left you angry and frustrated and bitter toward all those people eating the bacon that you should get to eat. That's what happened when we smelled that bacon on the fasting retreat. We got the smell, but not the substance. And it was like the Lord just showed me in that moment of prayer, like this is what it looks like for us in our spiritual lives. If we seek to be satisfied in things of this earth, the shadow, it's not just that we're not satisfied. It's that we get frustrated and bitter and angry because now we know what it means to be satisfied and we can't have it. I don't know if you've ever old man, almost everybody has at least one of them in their neighborhood where they live or their apartment where they live. I mean, it's, it's that person whose lawn is immaculate and they got all their cars waxed and clean, their house is perfect, and yet they're just crotchety and angry and a, a kid runs across and they start screaming at the kid and don't you touch the, they're just, they're angry all the time. And the reason why is because they, they want to be satisfied with all these things and it just didn't work and it left them angry and frustrated. This happens to us when we seek to be satisfied in that which can never satisfy. The shadow and not the substance. And here's the deal, guys. This is what you need to know. You will never, ever be happy. Never find joy until you are satisfied. Because your soul will wander aimlessly until it finds what it's looking for. And it'll go from dark place to dark place to dark place to dark place. Your soul must be satisfied if you want to experience joy. But here's the good news. There is something that can satisfy the very depths of your soul. There is something that can give you what you've been craving for. And I'm fairly certain if you're here at the church, you know it's not a something, it's a someone. A someone is Almighty God. And this morning I want to teach you how to be satisfied in God and in God alone. We're going to learn from King David in Psalm chapter 63. So if you have your Bible... Hope you open it up. Psalms chapter 63. If you don't know where the book of Psalms is, like right in the middle of your Bible, just open it up. Probably find the book of Psalms. We're going to go to chapter 63. And this is a psalm written by a guy named King David. Now, if you don't know King David, he was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He pursued God. And you're going to see he found satisfaction in God. And I want you to hear the, the joy and the passion with which he seeks Almighty God. Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1, says this. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Can you hear the passion that David has he says, God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. You're my pursuit, God. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, you don't really understand the passion of David until you know where he's at when he's writing this particular psalm. So it's interesting. There are details that the Hebrew text gives us that you might miss. But if you are reading a version at, uh, on your Bible, on, the, on chapter 63, right at the very beginning, there's a title part to it. This isn't a later edition. This is in the original Hebrew. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. In other words, he wrote this particular psalm when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, most scholars believe that this is a time when he was running from his son Absalom. His son Absalom had, had risen up and tr it was trying to kill his father David, trying to take over the throne. 
usurp it from his father. So here's David with a small band of people running for his life out into the wilderness of Judah. Now, when you and I hear the term wilderness, like uh, generally speaking, what comes up in our mind is like a forest or a jungle, which is kind of a thick, brushy, treed area, but that is not the wilderness of Judah at all. It is the exact opposite of that. In fact, I want you to see a picture of the wilderness of Judah. Let's see if we, we can bring up that picture. That's the wilderness of Judah. That, that just stark, no water, everything dry. Go to the next picture. Like miles and miles of barrenness. Next picture. I mean, this is why you think about camels and stuff traversing the land because there, hardly anything even grows there. Look, look at the last picture. Could you imagine, like there's these caves out there. This is where King David, he's hidden in one of those caves, and he pops out and he, he talks about longing for God as a dry and weary land where there is no water. And that's what he's looking at. That helps you understand a bit more of what he would talk about when he talks about thirst and fainting. Because to be in that kind of land meant you didn't have water anywhere. There were two main causes of death for people who were in the wilderness like that. One was animal attack of a wild animal that would be there, and the second one was dehydration. There was no water, especially on certain seasons of the year, and if you were traversing through the land and you did not bring water, you were going to die because you weren't going to find any water anywhere. And I, I don't know if you've ever experienced any form of dehydration before, but dehydration is painful. That's a painful way to go. There's a, a few times in, in running and training that I, I got dehydrated because I just didn't bring enough water with me on my runs. And it's crazy what happens when you start to get dehydrated. You, your body starts to cramp up. You're, it starts to shut down. None of your body works like it's supposed to. All your energy gets sapped. And it starts to get to the point where you get desperate for water. Your mind is on one thing and one thing alone, a long drink of water. All you want is water. And in those moments, I guarantee you, if somebody try to put a T-bone steak in front of you, you're going to slap that baby out of the hands. I don't need a T-bone. I need some water. When you get dehydrated, the only thing you can think of is water. There was a, a time when I was running, and I was feeling dehydrated, and I saw a puddle of water on the ground. And, and I almost went over there like a dog and lapped it up because I was that thirsty. I didn't care if there was bacteria and nasty stuff. I just needed water. If somebody offers you a wad of cash and you're out in that wilderness like you just saw, you're not going to do anything. with You don't want cash. You want water. And if that money can get you water, fine. But if not, you don't want it. Because all you can think about is water. It's the only thing that will satisfy you. So now come back to David. Here he is. He's in this wilderness where he has no water, no substance in that wilderness. His own son is seeking to kill him. And he says, my soul faints for you, God. My flesh faints not for water, not for a throne, not for a city, not for food. My, my flesh faints for you, God, as in, my, as in my, a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, I long for you. And what David is saying is the only thing that can satisfy me is you, God. It's not money. It's not power. It's not pleasure. It's you, God, you alone. He says, because my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, it says in verse 2, so I will seek you in the sanctuary. That first word, uh, verse 2, in Hebrew is ken. It means therefore. Because my soul is after you and my flesh faints for you, therefore I'm not seeking water. I'm not seeking anything else. God, I'm seeking you. When it says I'll seek you in the sanctuary, you got to remember David is not anywhere near the sanctuary. He's not in Jerusalem where the temple is. He's out in the wilderness. 
But Jewish people back then, when they prayed, they would face Jerusalem. They would pray toward Jerusalem. So when he says, I seek you in the sanctuary, it's a picture of David falling down on his knees, pointing toward Jerusalem, praying to God, seeking God, because he knew in that moment the only thing that could satisfy him would be his God. And when he chose to seek God, what you're going to discover is that his heart was completely satisfied and joy-filled. So here's a man, own son's trying to kill him. He's in the middle of this stark, barren desert. And listen to how in the next three verses he speaks about joy. Let's finish up the passage here in Psalm 23. Verse 5. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Do you hear that? I will, I will sing for joy. I will praise you with joyful lips. His own son is trying to kill him. He's got nothing. He's left behind everything. He didn't, he didn't take anything from his home. He's entirely displaced to this barren, stark desert. And he says, I will sing with joyful lips. I will praise you with joyful lips. You want to know why? Because the beginning of verse 5, he says, because my soul will be satisfied. I'll have what I need in you, God, and in you alone. And here's where you learn something about the beauty of God satisfying you. Yes, absolutely, David knew that nothing could satisfy him but God. But hear this. He also knew that when he had God, he didn't need anything else. God was enough. He didn't have his throne. He didn't have safety. He didn't have his banquet table. He didn't have his, his, his wife. He didn't have his family. He didn't have anything. And yet he had everything he needed because his soul was satisfied in God. And what a truth. Your life could be in shambles all around you, but if you have God, you will be satisfied. And there will be joy on your lips. You were created by God to be satisfied by him and him alone. And when you have God, he created you to have all you need. I love what Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says. It says that God has set eternity into the hearts of mankind. Let me tell you what that means. It means that every single one of us recognizes deep within our soul that this life is not all there is. We recognize that there's something more than just waking up every morning, working and sleeping and starting all over the next day and the next day and the next day. There are some of you who decided to join us this morning in this room because you know there's something more. There, There are some of you right now who are watching online and the reason you decided to tune in, you're not ready to come into this room yet, but you're just searching, going, surely there's more to this world than being born, living and dying. Surely there's something transcendent and beyond. You, you have that longing in you. No one had to teach you that because God set eternity in the hearts of every single one of you. You know there's something more. You're just seeking to find that. God put that in us so that we would seek him and discover that we could only be satisfied in him. I like how St. Augustine put it in his book called Confessions. It's a, it's a, a long book, but it's, it's worth reading. But he says this in there. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We've been designed by God, and we're going to wander around until we finally find God and rest in him. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it in this next quote. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
if, if this world can't satisfy me and I'm looking all around and I keep being left unsatisfied over and over and over again, then apparently something else is out there which can satisfy me. That something else is God. There's, there's a last one I want to read. It's from a guy named Blaise Pascal. He was a, a mathematician and philosopher back in the 1600s. And I, I love the way he worded it. He said this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. This sense that inside every single one of us, that longing, that craving, we all recognize it must be filled by something, but it can only be something infinite and immutable and unchanging, and that object is God. You were designed by God to be satisfied by God and God alone. And the best news of all is that God has offered himself to every single one of us. He says, the very thing that your heart pursues, I offer. Have it. But with that good news comes some really bad news. The bad news is though God offers himself to us and says, be satisfied in me, every single one of us have looked at God and said, you're not enough. I need something else. That's called sin. The Bible says every single one of us has sin. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is looking to be satisfied in something else other than God. It's looking to sex. It's looking to money. It's looking to achievement. It's looking to pleasure. It's looking to relationships. It's looking to work. It's looking to anything else to say, if I can, if I can just get this, then I'm going to be satisfied. Anytime we turn to something else other than God, that's sin. And because of sin, when it comes inside of us, it begins to grow and grow to the point where we turn our backs on the God who created us and say, you're not enough. And we don't realize that the moment we make that decision, we have now lost the very thing that can satisfy us. Because in our rebellion from God, we create a wall between us and a holy God. And we create a hell of our own making, and we don't even realize it. You know, I think people have a wrong conception of hell. People think about hell, maybe your image is like his fire, and there's the devil with his pitchfork and his horns, and just burning the whole time. And, and, and you get that for, for different reasons, but let me tell you, it's, it's actually a lot worse than that. So hell, ultimately, is the place where God is not. A place that's devoid of Almighty God. But it gets worse than that. It's not just a place where God isn't. It's the place where you can see God, but never have him. The place where you can see the one thing that can satisfy you, but you can't ever attain it. That's hell. There's a story in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a story about a rich man and a poor man. The poor man's name was Lazarus, and they both die. And the poor man goes up to Abraham's side, and he's right there in heaven with Almighty God. And the rich man is in hell, and it says that he can see over the great abyss, he can see the poor man, Lazarus, over there enjoying the time with God. And here is this rich man suffering in hell. And he says, hey, send Lazarus over here just to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue so I can have a little bit of a break. He said, I'm thirsty, I'm parched, I'm dehydrated, I just need a drop of water, just something. Because this is terrible, I can see the water, but I can't drink it. And Abraham says, I'm sorry, the chasm is fixed and no one can cross it. So hell is seeing what can satisfy you and never being able to have it. To smell the bacon and never get to eat it. To know what you need and never have it. That's hell. And it's a hell of our own making because we turn our backs on the one who offered himself to us. I want to know hell is a scary place. 
That's the bad news. But there's even better news. The really good news is that Almighty God saw us and he knew we would never have what we need. And so he said, I'm coming down to them. They're not going to pursue me, so I'm going to pursue them. And the whole story of Christmas is God saying, I'm the one thing that can satisfy them, so I'm coming down. I'm taking on flesh, and I'm going to be there with them. This, this is why Christmas is the place of joy, because it's the message that we can finally have what will satisfy us. I want you to flip over to the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. I want you to see how the Christmas story is built on this idea of God saying, I want to offer you what can satisfy you, and that's me. Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament, beginning in verse 20. And here in this story, you got the angel speaking to Joseph because Joseph is about to turn away from Mary. And it says in verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the whole message of Christmas is a story that one day God himself would come, and he would be God with us, Emmanuel. The one thing that could satisfy us came to earth. And when he comes and when we receive him, the only natural result from that is joy. Unbridled, beautiful joy. So what I love about the Christmas story. I'm going to flip over. If you're fast enough, you can try to find with me Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read verse 3. I want you just to see how it talks about joy, joy, joy. And then you're going to see where it comes from. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 3 says this. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Four times in one verse, joy, 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 gladness, this idea of abounding joy. And where did it come from? Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You have joy because mighty God has come to us in the form of a little child named Jesus. And that which our hearts have longed for is now given to us and we can be satisfied. That's the story of Christmas. But listen, I, I, I know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to the choir, if you will. You know that. I haven't, I haven't taught you anything new this morning. And, and, I, and I get that. But I, the reason I wanted to bring it up right now is because I'm afraid there's a disconnect between your brain and your heart right now. I'm afraid this is one of the, the biggest problems of Christianity in our modern world. We have the ability to know this to be true and do nothing with it. We, we know God is with us. He offers himself, and we don't receive it and bring that truth into us. We can smell the bacon. It's sitting right next to us, but we forget to eat it and bring it in. Let me tell you, it is not enough to know that Jesus is God with us, God in the flesh. It is not enough to be around the things of God. There comes a moment you have to invite Christ into you if you ever want to be satisfied. And let me tell you about Jesus. When he comes in, he takes over. He's not all right saying, yeah, I'll, I'll just take a little toe somewhere over here or kidney over here on the left side. Uh-uh. 
When you invite Christ in, he wants all of it or he wants none of it. And this is where I'm the most afraid. I'm afraid there are many of you right now and you're hearing me deliver this message. And you're going, yeah, man, I agree with you. Joy is found in Jesus. I agree with Reggie earlier. Jesus is the reason for the season. I, I believe it. And you're going to amen it. You're going to golf clap it. Then you're going to walk out of here and you're going to keep on pursuing your satisfaction and everything else and sprinkle a little Jesus on top of it. Let me go ahead and shoot straight with you. Jesus is not okay being one of your many pursuits for satisfaction. He says you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me if you ever want to experience life. That means you give up your pursuit of being satisfied in anything else other than Jesus or you just don't have Jesus. Jesus demands to be your one singular pursuit. You don't get to say he's just one more thing just in case my pursuit of, of job and money and possessions and sex and pleasure doesn't work out. Well, I got Jesus as a backup plan. No, he says you pursue me with everything or you don't pursue me at all. You give me everything or you don't get any of me. He wants to be our one singular pursuit. And he deserves to be our one singular pursuit. Don't remember, don't ever forget to remember why Jesus Christ came to this earth. Don't let it be a cute story of a little baby that is adorable that we want to cuddle up with. It's the story of a lamb that was born for the sake of slaughter. It is a story of a child who took on flesh for the purpose of going to a cross to bleed and die on that cross to atone for our sins so that we can be reconciled back to the one person who could satisfy us. It is a gruesome story to think about a child being born to die. But that's the story of God's love for us. And it's the story of saying, I have earned the right to be your one singular pursuit because I went to the cross for you. And he's saying, would you be willing to let go of everything else and pursue me and me alone? Look at that. There may be some of you in this room, and you've grown up your whole life in church. Maybe some of you watching, and you, you have a, a church memory. Maybe you've been a long time since you've been to church, but you, 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 you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian family, you think, and you love Jesus. But if you were honest and looked at your life, you'd have to say he is not your one singular pursuit. And I want to know there may be a moment where you have to say, oh, God, forgive me. I've tried to add you on to all the other things of my life, and I haven't given you everything. Maybe there's a moment you have to say, I don't, I don't know if I'm a real follower of Jesus when I really know what he demands. And maybe you need to, to repent. Repent means to turn away, to say, I, I no longer want to pursue being satisfied in all these other things. I now realize they can't ever satisfy me. I wasn't built to be satisfied by those things. I turn away from those things. And Jesus, I ask you to come in and take over. Come fill me with yourself. That's when you experience what your soul longs for. So if you're here this morning, you're watching online, you're going, I'm tired of being unsatisfied. I'm tired of being joyless. If it's in Jesus where I find satisfaction, then I'm ready. Listen, at the end of the service, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. If you're in the room, there are going to be pastors who are down front who are ready to pray with you. When, you're, when you say, I'm ready, I'm ready to give Jesus everything. I'm tired of holding anything back. I'm tired of pretending I want to give you everything I have. Then I'm going to invite you to come down front. Hey, if you're watching online, you can still respond as well. Right now, if you get your phone out, you text the word next step to 94253. And when you do that, there's a form you fill out. Or if you're watching on your phone, you go to computer, next step, filler.org slash next step, and you let us know. Whether you're in the room, whether you're online, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you to take the step of faith.
39 people last week, like I shared, were baptized, expressing their faith in Jesus, begun a new life. There are still others of you who are going, my time is now. I want you to respond this morning. I'm going to give you a chance in a moment. Before I do, though, let me, let me say this. Uh, I look out over here, and I can't see you online, but I can see many of you in this room, and I know you are believers in Jesus. You love Jesus. You've, you've expressed your faith in Christ. But you are missing the fulfillment that comes with that relationship because you're not spending time with Jesus. I, I want to remind you guys, all the benefits of the satisfaction of Jesus is when you seek him. So my, my wife is sitting down here. You can't see if you're online, but she's over there holding some of my kiddos. And she is my favorite person in the world. I, I, she is my person. I love her. 20 years ago, I pledged my love and allegiance to her. And she, she delights me more than anybody else in this world. I love my parents. They're right there. I love my kiddos. They're right there. And my mom just went, okay, well, I got usurped. She knew that already. Virginia, she's, she's my person. But let me tell you what. I could have 20 years ago pledged my love and allegiance to her. I could be living in the same house. But if I don't spend any time with her, I don't get to enjoy her presence. I don't feel the satisfaction of being married to her. If, if I let parenting or if I let ministry, if I let running or some other thing consume me and I don't enjoy her presence, then I don't experience the satisfaction of being with her. Because it's no different with God. You can be in a relationship with Almighty God. You can have access to the throne room of grace, the very thing that can satisfy you. But if you never spend time with him, you'll never be satisfied with him. And every morning he's saying, come to me. Come to me. I'm ready to meet with you. I'm ready to give you what you desire. And we go, no, God, I got to get to work. No, no God, I, I got I to do this thing. I, gotta, I got other things to do. And I think maybe this morning you might need to say, God, I confess to you. Forgive me. I've pursued other things when I should have been pursuing you. Forgive me for settling for things that can't satisfy me. I choose you. Next Sunday, we're going to have our virtual only service on December 26th, and that service is going to be designed to help us learn what does it mean to seek God, to, to be filled with his word. And I pray you'll tune in and get ready for it. But right now, this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to commit to say, I'm, I, I repent, God. I, I seek you now. And maybe you need to come down to these steps and bow down for a moment and say, God, forgive me. I've been so distracted. I, I've wasted so much time. I haven't sought you. Or maybe just where you are in your living room, if you're watching online, you need to bow down and say, forgive me. I haven't pursued you the way I should have. You need to repent and say, I, I choose you, God. Let that reframe your heart. And in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Before we do, we're going to sing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. If you know that song, it, it's the invitation of God with us to come inside of us. Come, God with us. Come be inside me. And it says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. We rejoice because when we ask him, he comes every single time. And I want you to declare that song, inviting God's presence into your life. And when we're done, uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper as a reminder why he deserves that singular spot. So you stand up for me, if you will. Pastors, I want to ask you to make your way to the front and get ready to receive. And if this morning you are ready to say, I, I need to make Jesus my singular pursuit, I haven't. I've been, I've been distracted. I've been seeking all these other things and I'm ready to, to pursue Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm ready to bow down before him and invite him to take over my life. Come let one of us know. If, if you need prayer for something, if you need prayer for anything going on in your life, I want to encourage you. 
come down. Let one of us pastors pray for you to call upon the power of Almighty God on your behalf. Come find us. If you're saying, I need to repent, I just need to get on my knees before Almighty God, then do so. If you need to reply, respond online, getting on your phone at next step at 94253, or you just need to pray where you are, respond as you need to during this song. And when it's over, I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. Now's the time.